You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you five messages William Stewart presented at Moody Week 1970. William Stewart was a former businessman and pastor. Now, here is William Stewart on Today in the Word radio. The book of Amos. The third in sequence so far as the minor prophets of the Old Testament are concerned. A tremendous book it is, so relevant to our time. I think most of us are aware of what the Spirit of God ordered in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, where he says, follow after peace and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. The book of Amos sets us right when it comes to following after peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Of the 12 minor prophets, this is the second in length so far as chapters and verses are concerned, only exceeded by the message of Zechariah. This little book contains nine chapters, 146 verses. But I hasten to remind you that the nine chapters and the 146 verses are not the prophecy of Amos. They're but the vehicles on which the very thundering pronouncements of the judgment of God come to you and to me. But first of all, before we consider the important message of the book of Amos, join me in concerning ourselves with the man, Amos. For there's a great deal in this prophecy, both by forthright declaration and by spiritual implication regarding this man, whom God picked to be his servant for this particular occasion. God concerns himself with his messengers before he entrusts his message to them. And it is well that we keep that in mind if we individually expect to be used of God. You remember how David by the Holy Spirit said for us in in Psalm 24, verses three through six, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord Who shall stand in his holy place? And he answers, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. So God is very meticulous about his messenger before he entrusts to that individual his holy message. I think, my dear friends, that you will recognize with me that these are very tragic times for many reasons, and not the least of which, of course, is the subtle attack of Satan upon even our evangelical ministers who, in response, seemingly are inclined to be satisfied to simply present a biblical address and be content that that's sufficient for the people rather than equipping ourselves to be the messengers of God. That's what he demands. Many of us wonder why God has not used us. We know all of the wonders so far as the cardinal truths of the word of God are concerned. But how many of us have been meticulous about equipping ourselves to be the messenger of God, the servant of the Lord, 
any man serve me, said the Lord Jesus, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Oh, the importance of the child of God equipping himself or herself to be God's messenger. I shall not forget a little over a year ago, the man who was my former pastor, pastor of a very large church back in the Southwest, and a very evangelical man he was and is. But on this particular day when I was able to visit my home, and that's about all that I do, just visit my home, and that's not often, my telephone rang. And it was the voice that I recognized on the other end of the line as being the administrator for the church. And he said, Dr. Stewart, um, I have Hugh with me and we would like to come over to your place. I think he needs your counsel. And I said, oh, I'll be delighted. Very pleased for you to come, thinking that perhaps they'd want to uh, tom come tomorrow or make an appointment later in the afternoon. But I said, when would you like to come? He said, we're, we're just five minutes away from your house. We're already on the expressway, just two blocks from your house. And if I wasn't uh, properly attired, so I just said, all right, Lord, this is it. They'll have to take me as I am. And I said, well, come right ahead. And within five minutes, there was the doorbell. And I went to those doors and opened them. And here stood that pastor. And he was in shirt sleeves. His shoulders were stooped. And I could see his countenance was fallen. And I slapped him on the back and I said, Hugh, straighten up. This isn't Hugh that I know. So I ushered him into the family room along with the, the administrator of the church. And he sat down in the large overstuffed rocker that I have. And generally that's where I put these who are pressed out of measure, you know, and let them rock off some of their difficulties before I dare enter into a discussion or counseling with them. So I said, now what is the problem? And he burst out in sobs and he said, Bill, the deacons fired me last night. He had been pastor 27 years at this church. And there were periods in his life when he was remarkably used of God. But I had taken cognizant that he was getting a little stale. And he was relating to us, you know, various uh, instances in his life and the important things to him. And one of the things that sort of jars me and they lose me immediately is when an individual starts talking about uh, fellowship and companionship and intimacy with some of the greats of our time or some of the things that he is doing, you know, chaplain of the highway patrol and this and that and the other. And he begins to launch out, you know, with his knowledge of medicine because he was formally trained in the medical school but he wasn't giving them the word of God. And uh, he said, what's the matter? Why would they fire me? I've been with them 27 years. And I said, wait a moment, Hugh. I know your people. And there are about 16 or 1800 people that attend in the services. And I said, I have been before them so often and I know your people. All they want of you, my brother, is to know that when you come before them, you are coming out of the presence of God. You are equipped to be God's messenger to them. And he just slipped out of that rocker onto his all fours and sobbed his heart out. And this is what he said, God, you know Bill is right. 
You've tried to tell me this over and over again, and here and now I dedicate my life to you anew. Here is my vessel. Use it as your messenger to convey your message. And do you know, instead of him getting his walking papers, he's still there today. Now, these are times when we are too concerned about just being biblical rather than being equipped to be the messenger of God. And God is still in the business of using messengers who have clean hands and pure hearts and who do not lift up their souls to vanity. They are the ones who are entrusted of God and from whom they receive God's blessing. There are a few things that I think are very pertinent about the man Amos. Number one, he was not a seminarian. He was not a theologian. Turn with me to chapter 7, verse 14 of the prophecy of Amos. And you will have the remarks of Amos to Amaziah the prophet. And these are the words that he spoke to him. I was not a prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, or from following the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Now, the thing I want you to see there is his emphasis upon the fact that he did not have any formal training. He said, I was not a prophet, nor the prophet's son. But when you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll read something else. The words of Amos from among the herdmen of Tekoa concerning the people of Israel, concerning Israel, which he saw in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. These are his words. The Lord will roar out of Zion. He'll utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the habitation of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not remove or take away the punishment. Now something in verse 1 that we want to leak up with what we read over in verse 14 of chapter 7 is this. The words of Amos from among the herdmen of Tekoa which he saw concerning Israel. Now he declares he's not a seminarian. But the Bible declares that he was well equipped as the messenger of the Lord because he could see things in Israel that others could not see. And that's just an implication of the preparation he had made to be the messenger of the Lord. Now at this time, Judah and Israel were in the height of their glory. Prosperity abounded if you know the historical record. There was security from without, and there was firm administration from within. And Isaiah, king of Judah, 
had just uh, built up Jerusalem as a mighty fortress, and he had raised up a powerful army. And according to Second Chronicles chapter 26, his fame was so noised throughout all the country and the world, it even reached effectively into the land of Egypt, and that was something in those days. But while the multitude of people in Israel and Judah worshiped at the shrine of the goddess of material prosperity, here was this little, untrained, but equipped servant of the Lord, seeing things in Israel which only fellowship with God would enable him to see. And I think that's very apropos for you and for me, that if we're going to really be the messengers of God, we must maintain a fellowship with God so we can look through the eyes of God at events of our times. I like that promise of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord. This reveals the fellowship of the believer. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now I think most of us are aware of the fact that an eagle is not known for its distance of flight, but for the height it can obtain. And when you and I maintain an intimacy of fellowship with the Lord Jesus, he doesn't promise that we're going places. We're not going the distances. We're not going to gain reputations. We may have to cut across the grain of public opinion at the very risk of our lives to be the messenger of the Lord. But if we would be in fellowship with the Lord, we like the eagle can rise to the heights where we can look through the eyes of God. Oh, what an eagle can see from the height it can obtain. And what a child of God can see when he rises to look through the eyes of God, not only at himself, but others and everything that transpires. The rest of that promise is, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Get the order. If you do not reach the height of fellowship with God, you will not be able to run. You will not be able to walk without fainting. So for Amos, it is for you and for me that fellowship with God enables us to see things, not in Israel, but in our everyday life that we would not see otherwise. So how important it is to have fellowship and maintain that intimacy of fellowship with the Lord. In these times of material prosperity, when all is abounding and people seemingly are there worshiping material prosperity. Now there's something else I think is of importance, and that's in verse one of chapter one, where we read the words of Amos. Among the herdmen of Tekoa, he was a man evidently of very humble birth because he was of the herdmen of Tekoa. Now Tekoa was about six miles south, or is about six miles south of Bethlehem. And it's any kind of a place but to be desired. It's not a place of great reputation, but that's where he was. He was from among the herdmen of Tekoa. You see, my dear friend, here is evidence that the call of God often 
passes over the proud and mighty. But the common laborer is raised up for the honor of serving the Lord and the ministry of the Lord. This has been true all through the word of God. Didn't God reach out and get Elisha from behind the plow and entrust him with his wonderful ministry? Didn't he reach out and get David from the sheepfold and commit to him the ministry of Israel? Didn't he go behind the tax desk and take Matthew and anoint him to write the first book of the New Testament? Yes. He reached out and took that common laborer, the fisherman Peter, and anointed him to be the spokesman of the apostles. And when we look at Amos, we see again the promise that God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. But that little phrase, from among the herdmen of Tekoa, he didn't take and he couldn't take all the herdmen of Tekoa because they were not equipped to be used of God but he took one from among them. I want to ask you a question. Are you the one that God can take from among others to serve him? Now, if Amos had have adopted the philosophy that we have prevailing in our day, whereby we must conform ourselves to the common attitude and aspirations and ambitions and attire and dress of others, even though we are strongly admonished, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. If Amos had adopted that attitude, that I must conform myself to the attitude and the disposition and the aspirations and the address and the attire of others, God would never have picked him. But he was willing to be picked of God. Now you remember according to the record of Saul's conversion, Chapter 9 of the book of Acts. He was on his way to Damascus. But would you believe it? Many of us overlooked the fact that he had a party with him. A party. And in verse 7, when Saul gets a vision of the risen Christ and enters into a conversation with him, whereas this man's life was completely transformed, we read that others heard a voice but saw no man. The Lord Jesus was not able to pick all who traveled with Saul to Damascus, but he was able to pick one, only one from that party. Are you in the position where God can pick you? Or are you so strongly fixed in the philosophy, I've got to conform myself to the way of others and to the belief of others and to the pursuit of the times are you in the position where God can say, you're seeking me, now I'm seeking you. And he picks you out from among the herdmen of Tekoa as he did, so to speak, Amos. Yes, that's very important for me. A wine pot is not absolutely necessary for God. He can and will use a water pot. So it's not necessary that you have the formal training of a seminarian. It's not necessary that you be of royal birth. He was of humble birth, a herdman from among the uh, herdmen of Tekoa. My friend, do you have a soul justifying reason why God has not picked you for service? Looking at Amos, not being a seminarian or a theologian, 
looking at Amos, a man of very humble birth. Do you really have a justifiable reason as to why God hasn't laid his hand on you for service? It's quite stirring. Now, there is another thing of importance, and that's this. You can't read the nine chapters of the prophecy of Amos. You can't read these 146 verses without being strangely moved that he was a man that was devoted to the word of God. Would you believe it? Look now again at verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Amos from among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel. In the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. In the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now drop down to verse 3. Note, please, he says, the word of the Lord shall roar from Zion. Do you know that in verse 3, you'll read the word of the Lord. Verse 6, the word of the Lord. Verse 9, the word of the Lord. Verse 11, the word of the Lord. Verse 13, the word of the Lord. When you get to chapter 2, you read verse 1, the word of the Lord. In verse uh, um, 2, you read about the word of the Lord. Verse 4, verse 6, he's emphasizing the word of the Lord. When you get to chapter 3, you'll read verses 1 and 2. I believe it is. Or verse 1, verse 12, verse 13, the word of the Lord. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he's emphasizing the word of the Lord. When you get to chapter 5, verse 1, verse 3, verse 16, the word of the Lord. When you get to chapter 6, verse 8, the word of the Lord. When you get to chapter 7, it's verses 7 and 8, I believe it is, the word of the Lord. And when you get to chapter 8, verses 1, verse 9, verse 11, the word of the Lord. When you get to the last chapter, which is chapter 9, verse 1, verse 8, verse 13, verse 15. That's the last verse, isn't it, of chapter 9. From verse 3 to the very, of chapter 1 to the very last verse of chapter 9, here is this little fellow taken from among the herdmen of the Lord, and his whole life and ministry is involved in and wrapped up in the Word of God. I shall never forget when Dr. Ironside was wielding influence upon my life, he said, Son, saturate yourself with the word of God and the Holy Spirit will use you, for he is the spirit of truth. So identify yourself with the word of God as the Holy Spirit identifies himself with the word of God, for the Holy Spirit cannot be removed from the word being the spirit of truth. Don't allow anything to remove you from the word of God, what comes or goes, and God will use you. And that is so true. Oh, the importance, like Amos sets before us by means of example, of letting the people know this is the word of the Lord. The message that I have is God's word. It's not my thoughts regarding the word of the Lord, but it's his word, thus saith the Lord. 27 times in this brief prophecy, he emphasizes the word of the Lord. Now, my dear friend, as people think of you, do they immediately identify you and your life with the word of God? How about the children that circumvent the table with you? 
at mealtime. Is the word of of the Lord so much a part of your conversation, so much a part of your life that they identify you with that? How about that congregation to whom you minister? Is your ministry such that your people recognize that what you say are not your thoughts, but indeed the word of God? That's the thing that made the ministry of Amos potent and powerful in his day. He never expressed his ideas to the people. These are the words of the Lord. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. And that's even what he said to the priest Amaziah over in verse 16 of chapter 7. While reading and studying this wonderful prophet, one of the most stinging pronouncements that God makes to him and through him to the people is found in chapter 8, verse 11. And I wish that you might look at it for just a moment. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. This is chapter 8, verse 11. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. My dear friend, we can well afford to experience a famine when we are so hungry we would have to pull our belts up a couple of notches. We can well afford a famine of thirst for water, but mankind cannot afford a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You can't afford that. The darkest time in human history was that 400-year period when between the prophet Zechariah and Ezra to the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was not a sound or an utterance of a word from heaven to earth. Was ever there a darker period in the history of the human race than those 400 silent years when mankind never had an expression from God himself? Believe me, that was a famine when they couldn't hear words from God. How much of of a contribution am I to the famine of hearing the words of the Lord? Is it because... There is so little of my life devoted to this book that others do not hear the word of God because I live. Or is it that I make it easy for other people to be satisfied in not hearing the words of the Lord? Am I such a contribution? The famine of not hearing the words of the Lord. May God search your heart as he searches mine. With what am I involved in these times? Can I be categorized as one who is determined to be known as a man of the book, an individual that's devoted to the propagation of the message of God? Or am I going to be a contribution to a famine in the land wherein the people will not hear the words of the Lord? If I want to have any part or fellowship with God, that must be my desire that all that I am and say is indeed thus saith the Lord. For we read in Psalm 138 verse 2, 
I will worship toward thy holy temple. I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Would you believe it? Whatever you know about the names of God and whatever they have to say to you about the characteristics and attributes of God, he exalts his word above all his name. And if God thinks so much of his word and I want his fellowship it necessarily follows that I must think as much of his word as he thinks of it. And you know the Lord Jesus, when he came into this world, says Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, the Lord Jesus speaking, Lo, I come. It is written in the volume of the book of me to do thy will, O God. In other words, the Lord Jesus said, Father, every move, every gesture, every word that I have to utter is going to be in holy compliance with this book. Now, if he has an evaluation and appreciation for the word of God to the end, that every move in his life, every gesture in his life was compatible with the book, how can I expect to have fellowship with him and have his favor and blessing directed toward me if I do not love the same word that caused him in his life to order his conduct and behavior. The Lord Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Literally, he is saying, don't try to remove the Holy Spirit from the truth. What is truth? Listen to the Lord Jesus in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit says, if you want to know me, you must know the book. You remember in John chapter 16, verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak unto you. He will show you things to come, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Again, I ask you, are you content, O child of God, to live that life without the full control of the Holy Spirit? Mark you, if you want the Holy Spirit's anointing and control of your life, the word of God must become to you what it is to the Holy Spirit. So identify yourself with this book as did Amos, that when the people hear you speak, they're hearing the word of God. How important it is. How important it is. May the Lord speak to your life, bring you to understand that if God would use the common laborer, Amos, one of humble birth, without formal training. He'll use you because you're in fellowship with him. And fellowship with him will enable you to formulate an opinions and see as he saw in Israel, the things that God saw. May this be true for your life. As I trust under God, it will be true for mine. Our Father, we are greatly rebuked, not just as we look at the prophet Amos, but as we review the word of God and those whom thou hast been pleased to use through the pages of the book. They have not always been men of formal training any more than Amos. 
but they were people and men who equipped themselves to be the messengers of God. They saw to it that they maintained a companionship with thee, that what they saw was vastly different to what others would see who worshiped at the feet of the God of materialism. Oh, help us today to walk with thee. Remind us anew and afresh that we do not have to be people of recognition, people who are admired by others to be used by God, because he chooses generally people of humble birth, the weak things to confound the mighty. He chooses from among others. Oh, God, are we ready to be chosen of thee? to be taken away and out from among others, be selected of God because our hearts are toward him. We refuse to be identified with the conformity that seemingly prevails. We want God to choose us because we've chosen him. Lord, may this be true in my life today. And may that which people will see and hear be that which they saw and heard from the lips of Amos the words of the Lord. I pray in his dear, peerless name. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message William Stewart presented at Moody Week 1970. William Stewart was a former businessman and pastor. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.